Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofaro, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While loss is something we will all experience throughout our lives, when it occurs, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations lead to a better understanding of grief and also give you some ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those you care about. You've probably been there running into someone you haven't seen in a long time, likely in a public spot, and this someone doesn't know the person in your life has died. Maybe they ask an innocuous, how are you? Or more specifically, how's your mom, your dad, your husband, your wife, your partner, your sibling, or your friend? How are they doing? On the spot, you're charged with either telling this person the news or faking a sudden urgent task, maybe yelling out a, hey, sorry, I forgot I left my keys in the car. I gotta go. So today's guest has the uncanny ability to say just the right thing in moments like these. And by right, I don't mean expected and probably not likely to win any awards in an old-fashioned book about manners. Instead, Caitlin Sweeney speaks honestly and without shame when faced with potentially awkward social interactions in the midst of grief. Just a note of acknowledgement that this episode is not meant to shame anyone who's found themselves voicing platitudes in the face of grief. They're pretty much all we have. They're what we've been socialized to say. And while many people are doing great work to try to provide alternatives that can lead to a better sense of understanding and connection, in a moment when we don't know what else to say, those old familiars tend to pop up. It's also difficult to make a list of, hey, definitely say this and definitely don't say this. Because grief is as unique as we are, and what feels comforting and reassuring to one person will make another one grate their teeth in frustration. Add to that that grief is also ever-changing. The person who is grieving likes one thing in one moment and wants to never hear the same thing again in the next. So this is exactly why I invited Caitlin to talk about this wildly confusing and pretty tricky business of interacting with others while grieving. Caitlin, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Jenna. Caitlin's mom died of a pulmonary embolism in November of 2015. She's the youngest of two and until recently lived in the same town as her older sister and father. Caitlin, I'm curious, over the past year and a half, you've navigated some pretty awkward conversations with the kids you teach, with coworkers, with friends and family members, and I'm guessing a number of strangers. Is there one of those interactions that stands out to you in particular today? Yeah, I've been trying to remember some of them. And the one that I think that stands out the most Uh, There was a child in my classroom, and we were having a conversation about families, and the child asked me, where does your dad live? And so I described the address and the house and all these details about it, and the child continued and said, where does your mom live? And I just said, she doesn't. And the child looked at me and immediately understood and said, oh, wow. And then just stood there kind of silently trying to imagine in her seven-year-old brain what that would be like to have a mom who wasn't alive. And then I think she just walked away. But she really understood what I meant, and I didn't need to get into any more detail. 
And how did you come up with that response? Was that something you like had prepped, ready to go in case someone asked you, or did it just come off the top of your head? It just came off the top of my head. It just was what made sense to say. And and I think in most parts of my life, and especially with children, I try and tell them the truth. Because I think a lot of times people try and say something that's a kinder version of the truth or some... I don't know, something that's like couched in niceties and euphemisms and seven-year-old brains don't understand euphemisms. They understand the truth. Right. Like if we say something too abstract to them, they, it just is really confusing. Right. And so when you just tell them what's going on, then they're very able to respond and they have empathy and compassion. So, but it doesn't work as well with adults to say things like that. Well, that's what I was wondering. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of people who, okay, with kids, I'm going to be really honest and frank, but I still have the socialization to be maybe softer or more uh, obtuse when I'm talking to adults. And I've always had the sense from you that, that, that that's not necessarily true for you when you talk with other adults. Yeah, I think with adults, I just give them more details. So I had a coworker who also didn't know in advance and she was asking me about my mom because I, she wanted my mom to donate money to the school or something like that. She was our development person. And so she was asking me about it. And it's like, well, my mom's not going to donate any money because she's dead. And then the adult decided to continue to ask questions. And so she ended up getting the whole story of how my mom died and all of the various accidents and illnesses that led up to it. She got probably way more details than she really bargained for, but those were the questions she asked. And so instead of trying to get out of it, I just decided to tell her all of it, uh, partially for shock value. And then it's sometimes it's nice to talk through for me, but sometimes I just like the reaction on her face of someone actually answering that question truthfully, which she was not expecting. So it's uh, ask with caution if someone's yeah. talking with you, because you will answer completely honestly and... And tell them what was going on. And if you're going to keep asking, then I'm just going to keep telling you. Through the course of your mom's illness and and her eventual death, you interacted a lot with medical professionals and other people in the hospital environment. Were there times when you had to struggle to get people to speak honestly and frankly about what was going on? Yeah, definitely. Um, And my mom was pretty lucid all the way up until right when she went into her final surgery and I think a lot of the way that I speak comes from my mom. She was also a very frank person. And I used to think that she had a certain um, word limit for the day. And when she reached it, that was the end. And she was done talking. Very, very straightforward and really told you what she wanted to say and didn't mince words at all. Yeah, and she often faced that with medical professionals who wouldn't believe her about a certain thing. So she had a, a CPAP, like a breathing machine that she slept with and then they wouldn't give it to her after surgeries and they would want to do something else and then she would start coding on them and she would tell them as she was beginning to code I need my CPAP machine and I told you guys that an hour ago and they just continually wouldn't believe her or wouldn't guess understand that she knew her own body and that was true when she was dying too is that it just it took a while for them to come around and tell us straightforward what had happened. So, in the very end, when her doctor came to come tell us that she had died, I remember him saying that she had bled out through her lungs and that just wasn't a survivable event. And I thought that was pretty straightforward. Yeah, that makes sense to me. When blood gets in your lungs, you're not breathing and therefore you don't survive. 
And so I appreciated that, that when the final announcement came through, it was very clear and thorough. So having something just really straightforward and really tangible and concrete about what had happened. And kind of visceral almost. You could, I could really see that happening, which helped my brain understand that it was real. You've talked a little bit about being an extrovert. And I know that word means lots of things to lots of people, but in the sense of, you know, getting a lot of nourishment and energy from interacting with other people. How does being an extrovert influence your grief? Being an extrovert, especially in the beginning, I didn't always take time for my own feelings. And I kind of hid behind going to go see more friends or taking care of other people's feelings about my mom, focusing on what their needs were instead of slowing down enough to find out what my own needs were. I think that's still true. I think I keep myself really busy so that I don't really have to take a grief deep dive. When does the grief catch up with you? It doesn't very often. And I think it did more in the beginning. It's going to be my mom's birthday in about a month. And I'm going on a 10-hour drive by myself to Michigan that day. So we'll see how that goes. And I think that has the potential for there to be enough brain space where I can't do anything else. It's like if I'm anywhere where there's something else to do, I'll do that instead. But I think on the flip side of being an extrovert, I also found when I first lost my mom that there were certain people that I didn't want to talk to anymore or who I wouldn't reach out to. And I don't really know why I've been trying to figure it out since then, but there's a couple of friendships that I just dropped. It definitely makes meeting new people more difficult. So getting that extrovert fulfillment is hard. The grief makes meeting new people difficult? Yeah, because I feel like they need to know that my mom died like pretty early on in our relationship. Um, so I've tried to figure out ways to tell them. Um, I had a really successful time last summer. I came to Minnesota for school, and it was my first time meeting new people after my mom had died. I was trying to figure out how to tell them and when to tell them and whether or not they needed to know. And I had this really beautiful set of colored pencils that were my mom's. So I told one of my friends in the program that they were my mom's pencils and that she had died and it was really terrible, but I got her pencils and she would never let me touch them before. And I was really excited that I got to use the pencils. The person I told, she really perfectly asked me why my mom had the pencils and if she was an artist or if she had some kind of art hobby and let me talk about who my mom was and didn't dwell at all on the fact that I had just said that my mom had died. So using the revealing of the news that your mom had died as an entryway to ask about your mom and ask about who she was rather than fixate on the details of, oh, you know, how did she die and when did it happen? Right. And I think that that's something that I try and do when I respond to people about my mom is direct them towards talking about who she was instead of talking about how she died. Because that's not really the interesting part. Like, she was a really interesting person. So it's like, how... How quickly can I get you away from the fact that she died and get you away from feeling uncomfortable about not knowing what to say about that to let me tell you a story about her? So as you're saying that, is it moving it quickly to talking about who your mom was and away from how she died to make other people comfortable or is that for you? I think it's both. If I'm talking to other 20-something people, they're more socially comfortable talking about parents and who their parents are and what their parents do and how their relationship with their parents is because not very many of them have parents who have died. 
they're more comfortable with that because they're used to it. And also then I like talking about my mom. So separate from talking to people about your mom and her death and figuring out how to interact with friends and people you don't know around that, you've also had to make your way through one of the more challenging situations for a lot of people is your parents starting to date again. And I'm curious, how, how is that sitting with you now versus when you first found out? Um, it happened very quickly after my mom died, which I think was really difficult. My dad started dating maybe a few months after my mom died. And right at the beginning, he was relying a lot on me for emotional support in a way that had never really been true before. And suddenly I was hearing a lot of stories and feelings of his that I think probably normally went to my mom when she was alive. Ended up being really overwhelming in a kind of surprising way because that's a role that I fill for many of my friends um, and other people that I know in my life. So it felt really natural to fill into that space. But then that it was my dad telling me all of those things and then I didn't really have, it felt like I didn't have a parent figure to fall back on. And so then... As he started to be more involved in this relationship, and I think now I look at it and he seems really happy. We're back to having a more familiar dad-daughter relationship, which I really appreciate. I don't have to hear all of those things he was telling me right at the very beginning, probably because now his girlfriend gets to hear them, which seems like the right person to hear those. So I'm really glad that she's there to field those feelings for him. They're going to Italy in the fall. They're off having adventures. So I think I've come around mostly to him having a companion and someone to spend his time with and enjoys he enjoys being around her. And that's great for me because then I don't have to worry about him. And I'm moving to a different city. And so it's nice to know that there's that he's not lonely. There's someone there who can be his primary emotional support. So And it doesn't have to be you, right? And he has the opportunity to then be your dad and not be the person who's coming to you for that care and that nurturing. Right, exactly. And then I get to go to him for the care and nurturing, which is how it's always been. And it's a little different tilt to what we often hear from people who, at the first, it just feels so threatening that there's a new person coming in that could be potentially taking the the spot of the beloved parent who died. But to see that there's a way that it's, at least in your situation, it's maybe brought some balance to that family system. It has. And I think it helps that um, that his girlfriend's husband also died many years ago. And so she has that understanding because she, she has her own children and she's really wonderful about being really careful where she treads and making sure that she, her advice is wanted and welcome before she gives it. She's very aware of her role and that she's building a new relationship and she's not trying to step into a role that my mom left behind. And she and my mom are so different that it's like that could never happen. Yeah, you're making me think we need a whole other podcast episode of tips for people who are dating people who have recently had partners die and who have children. (laughs) (laughs) How to do that with care and consideration. Caitlin, as you think through, you know, all the memories that you have of your mom, is there a particular story about her that is in your heart today that you'd want to share? Yeah, I was talking about one earlier today with a friend and... I was remembering when I was young, my mom always went to work really, really early in the morning, like 5 or 5.30 in the morning. So she would go in and she would get all this work done really early. And then my dad and I 
on our way to school would stop by her office to get my hair braided because I didn't trust men to touch my hair. And I thought my dad would mess it up somehow. <laughs> um, and so we would always go and she would do my hair and then I would go to school. Um, but I wasn't up early enough to get it done before she left. So we'd have to make a stop at the office. I was remembering that there was one year that I really wanted to buy her like a klutz braiding book for her birthday so that she could get better at braiding my hair. And my dad said that that wasn't appropriate because it's her birthday and that's really a present about me, <laughs> not about her, so he didn't let me do it. I got stuck with regular braids, but I still got to go do them every day. And does anybody braid your hair now for you? No, no one does. I have to braid it myself. <laughs> so there might be a friend in your life who will be receiving the Klutz book of braiding. Yeah. <laughs> I know we started off talking about you know, some of the situations in which you've been pretty blunt and straightforward with people about the fact that your mom died. Are there a few things people have said that were comforting or reassuring or, or at least not completely annoying? I think it goes back to what I was saying about the stories and what you just let me do is that I, yeah, I really like talking about stories about my mom instead of talking about her death. And I remember last summer, it was her birthday, and I was here in Minnesota, and my dad's extended family is here, so all my aunts and uncles and my grandma came over, and they let me make birthday dinner for my mom like it would have been if she was here. They just let me tell stories about her all night long, and they told a bunch of stories that I had never heard um, because my parents were together since my they were 18, so my dad's brothers and sisters knew her really well. And it just felt so celebratory and... I really appreciate that. And that was true all summer last year was that people kept coming to me with different stories that they remembered about her that I hadn't heard. And that really, I really, I really liked that. And even when it's people who don't know her, um, I often like it when they're just quiet, when they just, if I've decided it's the time to talk about my mom, they just sit and they listen. And maybe they ask a prompting question or two, but not really even, they just, um, yeah, they're just kind of a sounding board for whatever memory or feeling I'm having. You know, along those lines with your mom's birthday coming up pretty soon, if you could like pre-program all your friends and family about what they'll say and do on that day to reach out to you, what what would be like your ideal situation? Um, I like it when people remember without me having to tell them, which I know is a tall order. But if I could pre-program them and say... You know, it'd be really great if you sent me a text that just said, hey, I'm thinking about you, or I had a funny emoji, or any little bit. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But I think that, that that recognition that there's other people out there who know and who are aware and supporting me, even if it's quietly from a distance. And it, it seems like, too, there's a big difference between a how are you text versus a I'm thinking of you or... Right. Here's this cute picture of a pig. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I don't really want it to be a text that I have to engage with, which I think the how are you text makes me then feel guilty if I don't have a good response. The hi or the cute pig is perfect because then I don't have to say anything, but I know that that person thought of me and thought of this day. I think the same thing goes for the sender that then they know, oh, I've reached out and Caitlin didn't say anything back because... She's doing her own thing, and that's fine because that text wasn't about me. It was about supporting my friend. 
It's almost if we could have like an auto responder on our text on that day that says, thank you for your text. If I do not respond, please do not take it personally. I appreciate you reaching out. Right, exactly. And I might say that later too, like a couple of days later, say like, hey, like that really mattered. And I think that giving that feedback is important because then the people who remember to reach out will remember to reach out the next year. Well, Caitlin, I so appreciate you calling in today and being a guest and sharing about your way of getting through these interactions. And hopefully for listeners out there, the next time you're in the grocery store and you get caught off guard by somebody who doesn't know about the grief that's happened in your life, you have a few of Caitlin's uh, tips in your back pocket for how to respond. Oh, thank you, Jana, for inviting me. It was really fun. And for listeners out there, thanks for tuning in to our podcast. I've been giving you a heads up the last couple of episodes that we are moving towards a name change. I'm still keeping it under wraps for now, but hopefully soon we'll be revealing a new name and new artwork. If you want to check out any of our previous episodes, you can find us in iTunes, Stitcher, any podcast platform that you might be using, and on our website, dougy.org. As always, if you have a question, a comment, something you want us to talk about on the podcast, send an email my way at help at Dougie.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for listening.